0: Hey, hey! welcome, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along once again. The show is ready to roll. A co-founding partner, Savan Tamarkin, of course, is here, ready to answer all of the questions and emails as we get rolling. Martin Willems, of course, handling things out on the west coast of this fine country. And again, same contact for both anytime, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. There is another way to ask questions anonymously. You can leave your name. You don't have to right there. And we're going to read a bunch of these today. And that would be my disabilityquestions.com. Again, My disabilityquestions.com And that's where we're going to start pulling from. So we have a lot to get through today, guys. Martin, you had something to, uh, to open up on your end, pal. What do you got?
1: Yes, thanks, John. I had an interesting question from somebody this week whose disability claim, long-term disability claim, had been denied. Uh, she had been paid for a few months by the insurance company. Uh, she, unfortunately, has a significant mental health illness, which would be depression and anxiety, really struggling. Um insurance company, as I said, denied her, and unfortunately, she doesn't have a lot of support, meaning family support, where she lives. Um, her husband lives in a different country, mm-hmm. and she was asking me whether it would be allowed, her words, for her to travel to the other country to go visit her husband, considering that she has no other support and the insurance company has now denied her um, and she was concerned how this would impact her if she would wanted to do an appeal which I don't think that's where this is going to go she'll probably pref- uh, pursue a legal claim and um, how that would impact the claim and potentially the legal claim itself. So it's a, it's an interesting question because we do get these scenarios every now and again even when we do have clients who are ongoing clients who at some point might say, well, I am not getting the proper treatment in Canada. I'm struggling to find somebody to assist me. There's somebody in the US, for example, who could provide me with some treatment. I've got family members who live there. Can I go stay there? Because the, the, we always go back to this question, what does the policy state? Because the policy is a contract. And it's an interesting scenario when the policy, for example, may state that you're not allowed to, to travel outside of the country. Some policies will say, for example, you're not allowed to travel outside of the country for more than 30 days without the consent of the insurance company. And then that raises the interesting question. If the insurance company has denied your claim, is the policy still intact? In other words, can the insurance company, even while they've denied the claim, still say to you well, the policy says you cannot travel? Um, and even if people were to be on claim then that definitely would be the situation where, because it's a contractual term, they would have to get the permission of the insurance company. Now, I know of situations where the insurance company would say yes to a person to travel outside of the country, specifically if it is to go and get better treatment, because ultimately it really is in the insurance company's interest as well, because hopefully that treatment that the person will be pursuing outside of the country or allow the person to get back to work and then obviously off claim again. So there's a financial interest to mm-hmm. the insurance company. But in a situation like the one that I was speaking of, the claim has been denied. And I, we don't know what the policy says yet. So that's something that we would have to consider, whether the policy actually has wording about it, because not all of them do. But in a situation like that, you know, it, it's a tough one, because we would want to say because the policy, the claim has been denied, um, the lady should be able to travel because it ultimately is in her uh, her medical interest because she needs the support where she lives now. She doesn't have that support. And specifically in a mental health situation, there's a struggle and having people around you who can help you obviously will be supporting any recovery that you can pursue. I don't know have you had situations like this, sivan?
2: Yes, absolutely. I I have. And, you know, there are a couple of points I wanted to make. I I think that, you know, you've analyzed it really well. And it's really good that this lady contacted us and spoke with you uh, because it is a nuanced issue. And and one of the things that we keep saying here on the show, John, is that individuals out there who are dealing with a long term disability insurers, uh, you need to be careful with what you do, what don't you do, and the kind of instructions that the insurance company is giving you, because sometimes it's invalid instruction. It's incorrect based Mm -hmm. on the policy. I actually remember uh, an interesting case I had a long time ago. It's a similar circumstance, except that the person wasn't cut off. They were on LTD, but their doctor had recommended that they get treatments at the Dead Sea in, in Israel. And and for anyone out there who doesn't know, it's a fantastic area there in Israel. It's, it's uh, you know, the Dead Sea has a lot of minerals, salts, etc. A lot of people go there for for, for the sea's healing properties. And, and there was an interesting situation that occurred there because the insurance company said no, except that the doctor said you really ought to go. And so there was a question as to whether or not, you know, she was precluded from going. Luckily, in that scenario, despite what the adjuster said, the policy did not actually preclude traveling outside but I did tell her to to watch for something here I said listen even though I'm telling you you can go um, and here's what you should tell the adjuster about you going on the basis of your doctor's advice be very careful of photos or videos or things like that that you take there because it is a resort and so even though you're going there to get treated imagine John a situation where she's going and there are photos taken videos taken and again it is a resort It looks like you're having fun like you're going there for vacation you post that on social media what are the optics of that to the insurance company and the rest of the world it looks as though you didn't go there for treatments you went there to have fun so so you know when you are going outside the country especially when the insurance company is having an issue with that just be careful in in terms of taking that step and if you do take that step uh you know in terms of the videos photos social media i mean that's another issue here social media and how we deal with claims when there is an, an issue with social media and the insurance company saying it doesn't look like you are sick, especially in a mental health situation. In the case I'm talking about, it wasn't mental health. It was actually a physiological problem. There was an illness the person was suffering from. But my point is that I agree with Martin. And it has to do with what the policy says. But ultimately, you want to follow what your doctors are saying because, you know, the medical considerations here, in my view, outweigh the legal considerations. However, however get the advice you need. This is why we tell people it doesn't cost anything to speak with us. We'll talk to you. We'll review your policy. We'll advise you on what your rights are, what your obligations are under the policy so that you don't misstep.
0: The number to reach out anytime, guys, to Martin or Savannah the their respective teams, as we always say, one 821 5900 is the way. Email address help at disabilityrights.ca. Guys, I think we want to get to our first email. Um, we'll do that now. This from, uh, from Randy says, I've been sick for four to five months after having COVID. I was laid off at the time. I still have benefits as I've been paying for them myself through the union. My benefits run out in August or September. I believe it's long COVID. I've been seeking, seeking medical help for fatigue, chest pain, weakness, brain fog, tinnitus, and depression since I was sick. I'm still trying to get help, and I can't possibly get back to work in this condition. I was a welder and earned 100000 plus annually. I'd be lucky to hold down a job at a Cineplex in this condition. I'm concerned about what the future holds for me once I'm out of uh, resources and I can't get back to work until such time I feel mentally and physically able to do it. And it's not that I don't want to. I was earning a respectable income but cannot survive or support my family on zero. I was told to contact you. Is there a way for me to get on disability of some sorts? I would have medical records going back months showing that this isn't something I've just cooked up at the last minute. Thank you very much. Wow.
1: Well, that is a, that's a tough situation, Randy. Thanks for uh, writing in. You know, this is, it's something that has come up quite frequently over the past two years during the COVID period. Because many employers did lay off employees. That doesn't mean that they terminated their positions, but they laid them off. And ultimately, this is a contractual issue, meaning that what does the policy say? And I don't want to make this too complicated, but I will say this. Um, In terms of the policy, the disability policy, the group policy that Randy did have while he was at work, that policy is a contract, and it provides that, you have to be what is called actively at work when your disability arises. So as I understand Randy's situation, he was already off work for a period of time because of the layoff, and then he became sick. So it's a contractual issue as to did he have coverage while he was laid off? And we would have to study the language of the policy to see whether that actually is the situation. Because if he wasn't actively at work, as that term is defined in the policy, he may not be able to file a claim. So it's crucial, and we always say this, it's crucial to examine what the language of the policy is. And, you know, in terms of what other options there are to Randy, available to Randy, you know, there's something called CPP disability benefits, which does not have that requirement. So you could have a look at that. But I think the best thing for him to do is make contact with one of us and, you know, send us the policy and we can consider it. Because as I understand it, during the layoff periods, during COVID, some of the insurance companies adjust some of the policies to still allow some coverage for people while they were on a layoff. And if that's the situation, then Randy may be able to submit a claim. The next question would be, does Randy have a disability? And it sounds like he does, a disability in terms of the meaning of the policy, as long as he has his doctor support that he is unable to perform the duties of his own occupation. It's a tough one, Randy. Sivan, what do you have to say?
2: Yeah, the only thing that I would add here is, is that uh, we have a memo on our site, LtdFAQ, uh, that talks about various government disability programs in addition to other memos we have there for the general public. Uh, you don't have to sign up to anything, you just download these memos. We created them for people like Randy and for other people who just need general information about long-term disability and access to other disability programs. I guess one other thing, uh, you know, that that I would say here, one additional thing is that, you know, in many instances, people do suffer from long COVID. We are seeing this and insurance companies are denying these claims uh, unjustly uh, and illegitimately. And so if you have long COVID or symptoms of long COVID that persist and you're having issues with your long term disability insurer, we can help you with that. We've dealt with those kinds of cases. And unfortunately, insurance companies are not doing what they're supposed to, which is, Acknowledge that there is a problem here and these individuals have difficulty working.
0: Guys, short break, lots more to go, so stick around for it. Feel free to contribute to the show now or any other time. You can do it on email, help at disabilityrights.ca, mydisabilityquestions.com. That one's free and anonymous and it's searchable as well for your question. And the phone number is always a great start too, right? 1-855-821-5900. We'll continue after a short break. Lots more disability law shows on the way. All right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. Let's keep it going. More emails coming, a couple of different ways to reach out. Uh, email, yeah, help at disabilityrights.ca and then mydisabilityquestions.com, which where we are going for Laura. Laura sent a couple long guys. I want to get to her first one, though it's lengthier, so we'll, uh, we'll get through this first. She says, hi there. I am on short-term disability due to severe depression and anxiety, confirmed by my doctor as a result of long-lasting bullying and harassment of a coworker, But unfortunately, first HR and then recently WCB both rejected my case, saying it was not workplace harassment. This is while I have a few uh, witnesses and many other evidences for the harassment events. I'm still very ill and very stressed out and worried, thinking whether or not HR and WCB rejecting my case could affect the short-term disability, which is paid by employer. Or that could eventually have a negative effect on my case being approved for long-term disability in case I don't get well soon enough to get back to work. Also, should I fight for my rights with WCB or my case being rejected by WCB won't affect on my short or eventually long-term disability approvals. Would you please advise? Thank you so much. Regards.
2: Well, this is uh, a very comprehensive email, Lara. First of all, I'm really sorry that you're going through all this. Obviously, this is taking a huge toll, and John, this is something we've talked to a lot about, uh, you know, the idea of issues arising out of the workplace and how does that factor in when you're dealing with short-term and long-term disability, WCB, um, you know, and other types of claims. So, so let me try and unpack this and I'm sure Martin will do some cleanup if I miss any points. First of all, the first thing that jumps at me is, is that uh, you were rejected, uh, as you say, Lara, by HR whatever that means in terms of HR, I guess for for shortened disability, I would assume, and WCB. It's interesting that WCB rejected your claim, but in a way that's not a bad thing. And I say that because uh, if you are in fact disabled from working as a result of your depression and anxiety, which is, as you put, confirmed by your doctor, it means you should be entitled to disability payments, long-term disability and short-term disability for that matter. I'd want to see the policies to understand the verbiage. I understand the STD is being paid by the employer. I guess that's why the HR person at your company is not being too sympathetic to your situation. But really, they don't have much of a choice here. Because if in fact you meet the criteria set out by the short-term disability policy and the long-term disability policy, you should be gaining, you know, you should be getting both. If you got WCB, that could actually mean that you don't get STD or LTD. What I mean by that is that LTD and STD policies generally contain provisions that entitle those insurance companies who are paying STD and LTD to get a deduction for whatever you receive from WCB. And frankly, to be honest with you, most people who come to me and say that they're dealing with WCB talk to me and tell me about the nightmare scenarios that find themselves in. Oh. It's actually better, in my view, based on experience and anecdotal uh, information and evidence to deal directly with insurers when you're dealing with long-term disability. So the fact that WCB rejected your case is interesting, but in my view, not necessarily a bad thing, because now we can pursue your STD entitlements and LTD entitlements in the event that you're rejected by your insurer. So we can go after both. Now, here's the other interesting here uh, thing here. And I'm, I'm just going to zoom out for a second, uh, John. We've talked before about this idea of situational versus generalized condition and here's what it means for people who forgot what that means who've listened to me before or people who just joined for the first time insurance companies often deny applications by claimants for disability payments for ltd on the basis that the disability uh, is situational meaning it has to do with your workplace and what they're saying is that because it has to do with your workplace you, know, you can't come to us and say you want LTD payments for that. We're not bad boss insurance or bad co-worker insurance. Uh, if you have an issue with your workplace, well, go after your workplace. Start a legal claim for, you know, against them for constructive dismissal because they've made the place so uh, uh, toxic that you can't work there, that now you're sick. So that's called situational because it has to do specifically with the situation that has given rise to your inability to work, your workplace. The argument being that If you work elsewhere where it's not toxic, you should be able to work. So therefore, again, you don't have a condition. There is a general condition that prevents you from working. You simply have a toxic work environment, and that's not the insurance company's problem. Now, if your condition is generalized, meaning it doesn't matter if you're now trying to work elsewhere. The point is you have depression, you have anxiety. It doesn't matter what gave rise to it. Doesn't matter that it was a toxic work environment. The point is, you now cannot work because of depression and anxiety, not because of your workplace per se. If that's the case, well, then guess what? The insurance company needs to pay you. They must pay you under the policy because you're disabled from working. They can't get away from that. But look at what's happening here, John. Uh, her company is not doing anything about what's going on. WCB rejected her. No. And potentially the insurance company here, LTD, could potentially say, no, this is a workplace situation. It's situational, not generalized conditions. So therefore, we're going you know, to reject her claim too. I expect that to happen. And then you have Lara in a very bad state. She, she's suffering from these conditions, which are debilitating conditions. She cannot work. And she's basically told, we're not going to pay you. The company is not going to pay you. Uh, you're not going to get disability and you're not going to get WCB. That can't stand. That simply cannot stand. And what we would do in the situation is two things. Number one, we would go after the STD that the company owes her. Number two, we would tell her to apply for long-term disability. And if she's rejected from long-term disability, we would then fight the insurance company for these long-term disability benefits that she's entitled to. And in addition to that, given the fact that this all arose from a situation at work, I would put her in touch with one of our employment lawyers. Remember, we do employment law and disability law at the firm. And I would have that employment lawyer uh, tell her what action can we take against the company because clearly it's their mismanagement of the situation here or being hands-off whatever the situation is that has led her to this disabled state and so she may have in fact a constructive dismissal here so we're potentially dealing with an employment claim wow. and a disability claim here so you see how we, we deal with these kinds of situations we help individuals in these situations but it's fairly complex and if she only went to a WCB lawyer, or just to an LTD lawyer, or just an employment lawyer, those lawyers, because they don't have the expertise in all these areas of law, would not be able to actually deal with all these areas, and we can. That's the uniqueness of our firm. Martin and I are part of the disability group, but many of our colleagues at the firm specialize and specifically deal with employment-related issues, and together we can protect her and make sure that she's uh, uh, paid exactly what she's owed and that she's
1: protected.
0: Martin, what do you think, pal? Well, I think Stephen
1: did a fantastic job outlining (laughs) all of that, you know. I'm not going to repeat what he said, but I will add this, that this is a great thing that Laura sent this email because it is something that comes up every single week. I speak to people in this situation every week. And I'll add this, though. When you're looking at the long-term disability policy, like Simon says, situational versus generalized, the policy provides that during those first two years or whatever period it is, you have to prove you're unable to perform the duties of your own occupation. So occupation doesn't mean job, right? It means the occupation that you've got at the time. So the theory is if you can go work for a different employer or at a different branch, then you're not disabled. And I've, over the years that I've done this, I've realized that quite often in situations like this, where there is a mental health disorder that has been created, or at least the impression is that it has been created by bullying and harassment in the workplace, there quite often is an underlying situation already, an underlying medical condition or mental health. There may have been bullying in the past. There may have been trauma in the past that had not been properly treated. And when this bullying and harassment happens in the workplace, it's the final pop and the person goes into a relapse or whatever is right. underlying bubbles up to the surface. And in these situations, I always tell people, go back to your doctor or the psychologist or the psychiatrist and get them to detail why it is that you're disabled. Yes, the workplace had an influence on it, but ultimately it is a recognized psychiatric disorder and it's there due to various reasons. Um, And that, you know, helps you deal with the disability claim itself. may not help with the WCB situation because they're so focused on psychiatric illnesses that must be entirely as a result of the workplace in order for you to get paid. But... Speak to the doctors, get their support, because that will ultimately help. But I know, I know this as a fact, we will continue to see these denials on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. and we are the people to speak to. So make contact with us, because we can help you navigate this denial and get you the proper medical evidence to assist you.
0: Contact is simple, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. If you guys are cool with it, I want to continue with the uh, part two of uh, of Laura's concerns. Um, Martin will throw this one uh, your way, maybe. I uh, kind of expand on it. said, uh, I'm on short-term disability paid by my company. I'm suffering from severe anxiety and depression. Yeah. Could WCB or insurance deny my long-term disability if they can confirm that my illness is hereditary? My illness has started a long, after a long period of being bullied and harassed by coworkers we know, but the severity of my illness has not reduced even now that I'm off work. I have many cases of severe mental disorders in my close relatives, and I'm uh, I'm worried if they deny me going on LTD, I'm still not well and maxed out on the duration of my short term. Thank you. There you are, the heredity question, right?
1: Well, that's th- thank you for that. So that adds to this, you know, it goes... At- back to what I just said earlier on. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, when we're dealing with a long-term disability claim, the reason for the disability is not as important as, are you functionally impaired from performing the duties of your own occupation? So I will say this, in many long-term disability cases which arise as a result of a, in this situation for example, severe anxiety and depression, when insurance companies deny these cases they would say, well, many people work with anxiety or or depression, or this is the first time that you have it, why can you not work? The fact that there is a hereditary, potentially a hereditary component, should be discussed with the psychiatrist, if there is one, the treating psychiatrist, because that quite often underlines the the condition itself, and the fact that it isn't just make-believe, or it's not just the person saying, this is how I feel, there may be a hereditary component here, it may be genetic. So that actually underlines and assists us in fighting the denials with respect to the LTD denial. WCB, we're not WCB lawyers, but as I said earlier on, WCB in terms of, at least in BC, when you're dealing with a workplace-caused mental health claim they're very focused on the fact that it has to be as a result of the workplace so i'm not sure how this will impact the wcb claim with the ltd if this is the case and if it is further investigated by a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist says familiarly there is a history of mental health illness in this family it may explain why this person's condition is more severe than it may be for somebody else and again in my mind it supports the claim so, it doesn't take away from it, it adds to it. Sivan, any?
2: No, I, I, think, I think you've covered it 100%. I just, I'm I really happy that Lara has actually reached out to us with all these questions. Uh, you know, John, for us, uh, taking a look at these kinds of questions whenever they're not sort of run-of-the-mill is interesting Um, But I remember my father, who used to practice medicine years ago, used to tell me, you know, if a doctor, uh, if you come to a doctor with an ailment and the doctor says, oh, this is interesting, it means you're in trouble. Uh. Because, you know, you don't want the doctor to say this is interesting. You want it to be run-of-the-mill. But how critical is it, right, that these individuals are contacting us with these kinds of questions and calling us? Because if you don't know what the law is, if you don't understand your rights, you're going to be walking into a landmine on a landmine and and it could explode in your face. And the problem is that these insurance companies are waiting for that. If they can, if they can deny your claim for any reason whatsoever, whatever you hand to them, they'll take, they'll take. So you Mm got to be very careful, which is why you got any questions, you go to mydisabilityquestions.com or you contact us, you email us, John, you're giving out our info all the time. You're going to continue doing so. It doesn't cost anything to get this information. Not getting it is going to put you in a much worse position if you're dealing with an insurer or an adjuster that is aggressively trying to deny your client.
0: More of your emails and correspondence through MyDisabilityQuestions.com is coming up, guys, so hang on for it. In the meantime, you want to write down this number and uh, give Martin or Savannah or their respective teams a call later on. Have a more of a private chat. That's always available to you. 1-855-821-5900. We'll continue with the Disability Law Show. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. Indeed, 1-855-821-5900 is the way you uh, reach out and get a hold of Savannah. To Market, co founding partner, Sam Firu to Market, LLP, or on the West Coast, Martin Willems who will be handling things for you out there as well. So make sure you uh, you reach out. Want to get to another one, guys? Again, this is from mydisabilityquestions.com for you. If you're listening to this, it's free and anonymous, so feel free to use the same, uh, the same website as well. Uh, Sandra says, I am considered totally disabled and have been on LTD for over two years. I applied for and got a job, which I only worked for three days before I had to leave. I'm worried about what the insurance company will do if they find out. Could they cut me off?
1: Thanks, Sandra. Uh, Good question. So the fact that Sandra has been on LTD for over two years, if it is a regular insurance policy, that would mean that the insurance company has accepted that Sandra is disabled from performing the duties of another occupation for which she's got the transferable skills. So she was paid for the own occupation period, and now the definition has changed. So now she has to prove that she cannot work in any other job for which she's got the transferable skills. Mm-hmm. And it appears that the insurance company has accepted that. That is indeed the case, and they're continuing to pay. Now, the interesting thing that happened here is Sandra then found a job and she worked there for three days and she had to leave. I'm going to assume the fact that she had to leave is because of the disability. So, you know, tough one, because it seems that the insurance company doesn't know about it, uh, which does maybe complicate things a little bit. Ultimately, the consideration is, can she perform the duties of another occupation? The insurance company has already said that she cannot or accepted that she can't, and the fact that she tried to do this job and was unable to do it underscores that situation. So, on the one hand, we can say that Sandra tried to mitigate, in other words, she tried to do her best to get back into the workforce, and sadly and unfortunately, that attempt did not work. So, it underscores the position that Sandra is indeed unable to work in another capacity. The question, though, is what what would the insurance company do if they find out? Well, It's best to be upfront with these situations, I would say, in my opinion, at least, that the insurance company should know that there was, well, prior to making an attempt that they should know, but the fact that it failed is the more important part here. It is that Sandra tried and she was unable to do it, and hopefully she will have the doctor's support that she tried this, and the doctor's support that, indeed, with this failure, the doctor still supports that she is unable to perform the duties of any other occupation for which she may be qualified. So, what do you
0: think, pal?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with Martin here and you know the reality is that if you try to go back to another job other than what Martin says, which is that you should be upfront with the insurance company about your attempt, uh, you're probably speaking with your doctors about it, presumably. And so, when the insurance company gets a record at some point in the future, they'll know from the records that you've spoken to your doctor about trying to go back to work. And so, they're not going to be very happy if they didn't know about it. Uh, so so you do need to let them know. But I also agree that the fact that Sandra tried to go back to another kind of job and wasn't successful strengthens her claim. Uh, so it's a good thing from the standpoint of her claim. Again, there are complications potentially because she didn't tell the insurance company. So it's always good to be upfront. But if she finds out that the insurance company is now taking some kind of an unreasonable position, perhaps saying that. Well, you know, we should—you should have told us you're in breach of the policy. I don't know, making up some kind of an excuse to potentially cut her off benefits. We can help her with that because clearly she's unable to work. Uh, it is commendable, though, I have to say, that she did try to go back to some kind of job, right? I mean, Martin and I talk about people who are disabled all the time, and and that's you know we help individuals who are then turned down by their insurance companies in terms of LTD benefits, but. The reality is, if a person can work, we urge them to, in fact, work. It's just that you have to do it in a controlled manner. You got to do it uh, with the guidance of your doctor. You got to make sure that if it's a gradual return, that everything is being taken into account. The hours, the duties, maybe you need some modifications. And by the way, sometimes we find people who are trying to go back to work, they're trying to work with their doctors, they're trying to work with their employer, but their employer is being inflexible. And so in those situations, and I know I'm deviating a bit from the CMO, but it's important to to, to to state, sometimes people say, look, I can work part-time or I can work on modified duties, but the employer is saying we will not agree to that. And, and then the insurance company turns around and says, well, wait a second. This is now an employment law issue, oh. right? It's a failure to accommodate by your employer. So we're not going to pay you benefits anymore. Go after your employer. And again, people are then stuck because the employer is not budging and the insurance company just cut them off. And that's, again, the uniqueness of what we do, which is employment law and disability law. And now we can advise people on both fronts and help them. Our view is one of these entities is going to have to, you know, to to pony up the money. Either the employer has to accommodate or the insurance company is going to have to pay. This person should not be left out with nothing.
0: And a wonderful note there. Appreciate it. You can reach out anytime as well. Maybe yours will end up on the show. Uh, it is uh, for a phone call, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Okay, so uh, we still got a lot more, so man, which one do you want to pull from? Go ahead, pal.
2: We do. We have quite a lot. So there's an interesting one that came uh, to us. Uh, the name is anonymous. There's no name there. Gotcha. Uh, but I'll read it anyway. It's an interesting question. He says, this person, this person says, he or she says, I applied for short-term disability two years ago, initially declined, and then appealed and approved, still on LTD. Does the initial denial count for the two-year window for a legal claim, or is that reset since I've received benefits since? Do I wait for them cutting me off before pursuing further? Now, this is interesting, because when I first read this, I was scratching my head. I'm thinking, why is this person contacting us? I mean... The person was declined for shortened disability, but then was approved, and then is still on LTD. This brings me to a larger question, which some people have, which is, uh, you know, the insurance company declined me. I'm angry. Maybe they their decline initially caused me other damages. Maybe I had to sell some personal belongings, you know, and that uh, potentially uh, uh, led to some losses. I don't know. Maybe I had to, to sell my apartment, my car, whatever situation is. Some people contact us and say, look. I've been put through the ringer by the insurance company, I've been abused, I've been harassed, everything. I'm still on LTD, but I want to take some action against the insurance company, maybe for punitive damages, to punish them. We we are very careful in the advice we give people here because being responsible lawyers, and I say that, I underline responsible because some lawyers, in my experience, are not responsible. They'll give you advice that is purely legalistic. And when we're looking at these kinds of cases, Martin and I and the rest of our team, We are looking at them holistically, meaning we are looking not just what the law allows you to do or what your rights are under the law, but also what is practical, what makes sense. We don't want to give you advice that is great from a legal standpoint, theoretically, but is going to put you in a very bad situation down the road. And so in this case, this person is getting benefits, and I would urge that person to simply not do anything, continue getting benefits, continue trying to get better.
0: Reach out. Don't hesitate as we get into one more break and a few more minutes of showtime. 1-855-821-5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue with the Disability Law Show. All right. Welcome back. Still got some time. Disability Law Show. You bet. Reaching out afterwards. One eight five 821 Don't be scared to do that. Just have a conversation with Savannah or Martin or their respective teams. Always ready to have a chat with you. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And always a reminder, the website that's become very, very popular for asking questions, you could do it anonymously as well and search the database of previously asked questions. That would be my disabilityquestions.com. Guys, that's exactly where we're going to go. We're going to get to Sharon. Simply Sharon says, hello. Hi, guys. I've been off on disability for approximately one and a half years. I plan to retire when I'm fit to return to work. My disability case manager from uh, the insurance company has asked me whether I plan to return to work or retire. Should I share my plans with her?
1: Well, Sharon, you did a good thing by sending in this question. <laughs> uh, we we go back to the wording of the policy. And it, just so you know, the reason why I'm, speak, why I'm focused on this is a good thing is because you should speak to us before you share any plans with any um, insurance company. Because the policy allows insurers to do certain things, right? You have rights under the policy, the insurance company has rights under the policy, and the policy also provides when benefits end, and one of them is retirement. Mm. So it depends on what each policy says, but most of them would say that if you retire, your your benefits and your coverage terminates as well, and that's serious. So if you're planning on doing that at some point, if you were to return to work, you don't need to share that at this point. I mean, if, what is important is you contact us, we can have a discussion and, and, and explain to you what your options are, with respect to the wording of the policy specifically, so that you know if this is what you are, in fact, going to do, how that is going to impact you, not with respect to only the the benefits that you are receiving, but potentially your coverage as well, meaning future coverage. Because once you're retired, then you won't have coverage anymore. And that is important to understand. And not many people know that. And sometimes, you know, if there's something called reduced pension, for example, if you were to take pension... Um, but based on retirement, that could allow you to receive a unreduced pension. That could be a triggering event. But if there's a reduced pension because you're retiring early, that could potentially still mean that you could receive your LTD benefit on an ongoing basis, okay. but it could be reduced. But we have to be sure exactly what the situation is. And the way we do that is by having a discussion, getting further facts from somebody like Sharon, and then very importantly review the policy to see how these decisions may ultimately impact somebody in Sharon's situation.
0: Savannah, comment. What do you think? Uh,
2: again, I agree with everything Martin said. I can tell you that I've had individuals sometimes contact me and telling me that the insurance company hasn't asked them if they plan to return to work or retire. Uh, they're telling me that the adjuster has said you must retire. Ooh. And it, that's very strange. They can't force you to retire. The closest I've seen to a scenario like that uh, is uh, with certain government employees. Remember, I, I had a, a client in a very high-level position in the government in Ottawa. And this person uh, was in a very unique position. He was earning a lot of money. Uh, but as part of, of his, uh, I guess, pension plan, there was a medical pension uh, that he, he that would be triggered, essentially, after a couple of years on being on disability. And, and the reality is that that medical pension would have essentially wiped out the ltd entitlement and so we had to deal with that but my point is an insurance company cannot force you to retire and this brings me to a larger point which again we keep hammering but it's important people understand insurance companies cannot tell you and and instruct you to do things that they have no right to a lot of times adjusters will tell you to do something and you're thinking to yourself well do i really have to do that and sometimes for whatever reason, you don't want to contact us, even even though you should, right, it doesn't cost anything to get this information. If you don't want to contact us for whatever reason, but you aren't with what the adjuster, your adjuster is telling you to do or is telling you in general, ask them to point to your policy, to the exact provision that entitles them to ask you to do that. So if they're telling me you have to retire, ask them, where does it say in my policy, show me where that provision is that says I must retire. Because if they cannot point to that provision, that provision doesn't exist, which means the insurance company cannot force you to do that. So this is more of general advice here. Do not simply take what the insurance company and the adjusters say at face value. Question them. Ask them to show you where in the policy certain things are or are not. And if they don't respond to you for whatever reason, well, then guess what? As far as I'm concerned, you don't have to comply. I mean, again, I want to make sure it's fact by fact uh, scenario. It's a case by case scenario, uh, different cases of different facts. And again, you can always reach out to us and we can review your policy, but the general rule is this. The insurance company can only force you to do, or at least they can only act on what they're telling you you should do if the policy allows them to do that.
0: The number, one 821 5900 Similar situation. Reach out. If not, different situation, always reach out to Savan or, uh, or Martin for sure, guys. Uh, okay, you got uh, probably enough time for one more, Savan. It's going to be your pick. Where do you want to go?
2: Let's go with uh, with Dina. Do you, do you have that submission?
0: Yeah, we got Dina right here. Says, hey, guys have been off work for a little over two years and have asked my insurer to help me prepare for a return to work. I've uh, complied with all their requests and done everything accordingly. I'm now having issues with the insurer because they are insisting that I have to find employment elsewhere and not return to my current employer. My current employer is willing to work with me, but the insurance company is just telling them that I am not ready for a return to work plan. Can my insurer force me to find work somewhere else? My case manager insists that they are focused on finding me uh, other work opportunities anywhere, but my current workplace, I don't know what to do. I've tried advocating for myself, and have been, and, uh, been met with resistance. I'm afraid that the insurer is trying to buy time so that I won't have an opportunity to go back to my whole job. This has causing me so much stress. Any guidance or suggestions would be greatly appreciated." Wow.
2: Let me, let me kick this off. We don't have a lot of time, and I want to make sure that Martin can also uh, comment on this. This is very strange. Very, very strange to me. I mean, after the two-year mark, to get LTD, you have to show that you cannot work or perform the essential tasks of any occupation for which you're suited for. But this person is trying to get back to their old job. I don't know why the insurance company is gonna have an issue with that. Uh, Yes, the insurance company can simply cut off benefits and say, we believe that you are able to go to either your job or any other, not job, occupation. But for them to insist that she cannot go back to her old employer, they don't have the ability to do that as far as I'm concerned. Martin, what do you think? This is strange. It is strange, you know what? The insurance
1: company cannot definitely not insist that uh, Dina cannot go back to her previous employer. I, I, I'm going to, I'm wondering whether behind the scenes the employer is saying, We cannot take you back for whatever reason, and the insurance company is now telling Dina, Look, we, we don't care, we just want you to go find a job elsewhere because the definition has now changed. It's no longer job attached or occupation attached. It is a job anywhere else. And if your employer doesn't want to get you back, that's not our concern. We just want you to go work somewhere else. I think that's what's happening behind the scenes. But also to understand the insurance company doesn't have to find you a job. It's just you have to prove you cannot perform the duties of another occupation. If you want to go back to your employer, they cannot stop you from doing it.
0: And with that, guys, we are just about done for another show. Appreciate all your correspondence and contributions to the show every week. And I'll give you the same details that we've been reading out on the show thus far, and we do every week as well. Yeah, the phone number first, 1-855-821-5900. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. Simple, right? And then finally, very popular and anonymous and free, my disabilityquestions.com. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.